Well, good morning. My name is Sean Sivils. I'm the student pastor here at FBC Wimberley, and I want to thank you for joining us today. The Advent season is here. Christmas time is in the air. You know, Christmas brings out a lot of different thoughts and feelings with people. Some people think of family get-togethers and food and gifts and time together. Some folks think of Christmas as a time of spiritual reflection. Um, I don't know, Emmanuel, God with us. What a thought. And for others, it can be a lonely time, a, a time that uh, a break from, from life brings a, a rush of feelings and emotions. You know, love is kind of like Christmas in that, that there's a lot of different thoughts and, and ideas that come to mind. And it's kind of interesting in our culture, the different ways that people use words to describe love. Um, for some people, the word love is really just another word for like. Uh, some people, they think of devotion uh, when they think of the word love. For some, it's, it's a profound, passion, passionate affection. For some, it's maybe a feeling of attraction or, or desire, a strong liking for something. And to me, the word love, even the idea of love, is, is powerful. It's kind of annoying to me when people use the word love to describe something that seems hardly above average, like I love tacos or I love that shirt. Um, I don't know. It seems to cheapen the word and reduce it to maybe just kind of average. In the Greek word, there's seven words to translate for the word love. Um, in our English language, love is very generic, but in the Greek language, it's, it's very vivid. Uh, whether it's a romantic love or a, a brotherly love or a conditional familial love, uh, Greek paints a, biv- a vivid picture. Agape is the Greek word for God's love. When the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Our text this morning is found in 1 John chapter 4, and I want to invite you to take an honest look at God's love. I want you to know that God's love is unlike any love that we've ever known. And to come to know it, to understand it, and to believe it will cause us to love him and to love others in a way that we've never imagined. So will you pray with me as we get started? God, I want to thank you for your gift of love. And God, your love is unlike anything that we've ever known. And I pray this morning that you would give us a fresh perspective on love. Jesus, I ask that as we turn to your word this morning, that you would perfect our understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. God, I pray that you would use me. Father, empty me of my words and give me your words and your thoughts. And change our hearts to love you in a way that we never imagined and to love people like you would have us to. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, I'm going to read in the, the NLT version, but 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 10, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son 
his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God is love. I want you to think about this for just a second. As I was preparing for this sermon, this idea, I ran across it and, and it just caused me to pause for a minute that, that God was love long before he created anything to be the object of his love. God is love. His character, his disposition, it's who he is. As an expression of who he is, he created mankind to love and to be loved in a grateful return. First John chapter three, verse one says this, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Wow, children of God in perfect relationship with the author of love. Created to love with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. So what happened? Where did I go wrong? Where did my heart and my affections and the things that I desire and chase after, where did I miss it all? The truth is that I was also created with the ability to choose. Created in the image of God, I was given the ability to decide and my choice was to rebel, to wander from a perfect relationship, thinking that somehow something else could satisfy me. My sin, my choices, my rebellion, my mess. But God, God loved us even when we did not love him back. When my heart is dirty and broken, and when I have nothing to give in return, the lover of my soul stepped into my life, into my mess. Romans 5, 8 says it this way. It says that, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The key idea here is that love gives even at a great cost to itself. And Jesus gave his life for us. John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die for us. Jesus took on flesh and was born in a manger. He lived a perfect life and he died on a cross for my horrible sin. God the Father and God the Son gave in response to my desperate situation. The cost was infinite, but God the Father and God the Son loved us so much that they did not hesitate to pay the cost to meet the need for my sin. All that God does expresses all that he is. And great love paid a great cost to satisfy the penalty of my sin. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we are not saved by loving Christ but we're saved by believing and putting our faith in Christ. After we realize, though, what he did on the cross for us, our normal response ought to be to love him and to love one another. That first Christmas, a baby was born, Emmanuel, God with us. What an amazing thought of hope that God would live among us. 
And that's what happens when we say yes to Jesus in faith. The Holy Spirit moves into our hearts and our minds and lives inside of us. And that's why Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who lives inside of you that gives you the desire and the power to will and to act to what pleases him. God's love is expressed in his actions. And God's love is unlike any other love that we've known. And as we experience it, to have his love perfected in us will cause us to love him and to love others in a way we've never imagined. Keep reading in 1 John chapter 4, 11 through 21. It says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. And all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God that we cannot see? And he has given this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You know, loving others, it's not always easy. I was teaching on a, a, this subject one time with a group of students and a, a girl raised her hand and she said, I know that the Bible says that I'm supposed to love people, but do I have to like them? <laughs> we try to manage our actions towards others so that it appears that at a minimum that we're being respectful. But it's more of an outward focus management than an inward focus. Love is more than a mere act of the will. I ran across a quote from a, a guy named George Washington Bethune. He was a, a preacher in the 1800s, and, and he sounds like a guy living in the 1800s, but he, he says it this way. He says, Love is a vigorous spirit that rules the whole of a man, ever directing him to be humble and loving fulfillment of his duties to God and man. We should do more than just decide to do acts of love. We should desire to do them. This is not to say that we are to do acts of love only when we feel like doing them. It's to say that we are not content ourselves merely with acts of the will, good as those acts may be. But we are to lay hold of God in prayer until he gives us that vigorous and loving spirit that delights to reach out and embrace our brother and to meet his need or forgive his sin, even if it's at great cost to ourselves. All of our actions 
to be acceptable to God must be done out of a sense of devotion to God. God cares more about the attitude of our heart than our actions. Devotion to God is the only acceptable motive for our actions to be pleasing to God. Think for a moment about how you love people. Does the love in your heart look like a perfected love or what we might call a broken love? I don't want you to feel condemned this morning, but I want you to to get real about how you love people. Sometimes we believe that we're loving people when in reality, the motivation of our heart is a selfish motivation. And we have to ask ourselves, is my love self-serving? Do I look for the praise from people or maybe a favor returned in the way that I love people? And if so, do I end up stealing the glory from God for what was done? Does my love look self-serving more than a perfected love? Some people have what I would call a legalistic love. It's where I accept that the people that live up to my moral code, if you live like I do and you do the things like I do, then, then you're okay. Pastor Scott says it this way. He says, people oftentimes will know more what we're against than what we're for. Don't get me wrong. God doesn't have a problem with with godliness and holy living. But if all people see in me is a disgust for how they fall short, I'm missing the point. As Christians, we are to put off the sinful nature and to walk in holiness. But we're also called to put on love and compassion and kindness. Does my legalistic love look look like a perfected love or just a comfortable love with my moral way of living? I can't help but think of the woman caught in the act of adultery. In John chapter 8, we we find this woman and it says this, that, that as he was speaking, talking about Jesus, that the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. And they said, teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says that we should stone her. But what do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. And so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and he wrote in the dust again. And when his accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. The woman stood up again and he looked at the woman. The Jesus stood up again and he looked at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. There's a second principle that I feel like we can get from this story as well. And it's a question of justice. Is it okay to break God's law and there just not be any consequences? Jesus did not endorse her sin. He had every right to condemn her, but he had a messy plan. His life for hers. Go and sin no more. All that God is, is expressed in all that he does. This is a hard thought, but but God is the only rightful administrator of justice in all the creation. And in Christ, his justice has been satisfied. 
We have a hard time with that sometimes. As a follower of Christ, forgiving others is going to cost me sometimes a sense of justice. In order for me to forgive my brother, I have to be satisfied with God's justice and forego the satisfaction on my own. A lot of times we want a pound of flesh for people that wrong us. And we're going to meet people in messy places, but it's not our place to judge them. It's our place to show them the love of Christ and to point them to the forgiveness that he offers. There's a guy named Jerry Bridges. He wrote a a book called Pursuit of Godliness. And he says this, he says, the forgiving aspect of love enables us to be patient with one another and to live at peace with one another. It enables us to deal gently with our brother even when he sins against us. If we're to grow in the grace of love, we must be ready to forgive, even at a great cost to ourselves. God's love is unlike any love we've ever known. And to come to know it and to believe it and have it perfected in us is going to cause us to love him and to love others in a way that we've never imagined. How do we love messy people? Are there people in your life that you struggle to love? Have you reached a place in your heart that you're content to allow a lack of love for someone to reside unchecked and unchallenged? If you are, that's not a perfected place of love. If we desire to be God-like and to glorify God in our lives, we must make cultivation and exercise of love in our hearts an urgent priority. It's going to require us to draw near to God as we walk in holiness, in humility, in love. And you may be asking this morning, man, how do I do that? Because I try and it just doesn't look like that. How do we change the attitude of our hearts and our minds towards forgiving people and loving them? And I think the first thing that we have to do is this, is we have to saturate our mind with scriptures that describe love and remind us of the importance of it. You probably have heard of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It says this, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. But what if you rephrased 1 Corinthians chapter 13? What if you made it personal to yourself? What if it said something like this? I am patient with you because I love you and I want to forgive you. Or I am kind with you because I love you and I want to help you. I don't envy your possessions or your gifts because I, lo- I love you and I want you to have the best. I'm not proud or boastful about myself because I love you and I want to think more highly of you than I do myself. I'm not rude because I love you and I care about your feelings. I'm not self-seeking because I love you and I care about your needs. I'm not easily angered because I love you and I want to overlook your offenses. I'm not going to keep a record of your wrongs because I love you and I want to be Christ-like and forgive in a way that honors Jesus. That's hard stuff, but we're talking about an attitude of our hearts and Jesus wants to change the attitude of our hearts about how we love people. First Peter chapter one, verse 22 says this, It says, love each other deeply with all your heart. I've met people that they tolerated people, but it was hard to see that they loved people. 
or maybe they love people, but there was just no emotion to it. I don't know how you get past that scripture. Love people deeply with all your heart. Or 1 Peter 3, 8, where it says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Sounds like there's some emotion involved there. Romans 12, 10 and 11 gets real and says it this way. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Wow. If we're going to love people the way Jesus wants us to, we're going to have to saturate our minds with scriptures that describe love and show us the importance. And the second thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to apply his word to our lives every day. The third thing that maybe you need to do is join a life group. Maybe you're watching online and and you need to get plugged into a group. And there's some reasons why you need to do that. We all have blind spots. There's all in all of our lives, there are places and things that we do that we can't see the wrong in it. But if you'll step into a life group, a group of fellow believers that is living out life in a community that you'll be able to see some of the things that Jesus wants to correct in you. We need people around us to encourage us to live all for Jesus. The reason that most people don't join a group, I've been there. There's the fear of change, the fear of the unknown, the fear of maybe feeling judged or exposed, pride. Sometimes we're just comfortable with ourselves and we don't want to change. But living life following Christ is going to mean living life in a group. And you can contact Scott at fbcwimberly.com and he can help you get into a group. All you need is some friends, some people to join into your group and we'll provide the content and the steps for you on how to do that. But don't be afraid to be in a group. Let God step in and perfect the love in your heart. And the last thing is, is obey. Philippians 2.13 again says that it's God that causes you to will and to act. I can't love people on my own ability, but I can ask God to change my heart and do that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and all things have been made new. Has, has your heart and mind experienced the love of Christ? Have you been made new? Today you can let Jesus transform your heart by asking him to forgive you and surrendering your life to him. It's as easy as saying, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of where I've done wrong. I give my life to you. Be the Lord of my life and change my heart and mind to honor you. We'd love to pray with you and we'd love to hear a response from you. If you're watching online, you can comment or click the button and let us know that you chose to give your life to Jesus today, that you said yes to him, perfecting love in you. And if you're struggling with with loving people and and maybe you want some, some encouragement or counsel, communicate with us and let us know where you're at. 
We're here to serve you and encourage you. Thanks for listening today. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you that you didn't give up on us. God, I thank you for your amazing love. God, help us to honor you in the way that we love others. God, I pray that you would change our hearts and minds to do that. And God, for folks that have never said yes to you, God, I pray that today they would, that they would trust you and that they would let you transform their life. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening.